Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This message is part three in the series, An Unfulfilled Potential, The Life of King Saul. In this message, Brandon talks about how important it is to have confidence when living a life of potential. All right, well, then maybe that helps you catch up. I don't know if you're like me, though, when that thing started crackling a little bit on the side, I'm kind of like getting my hands ready to go over my ears. I thought we were about to get blown out again. But, uh, but we have been talking about this, this potential that we all have, and when we begin to look at the life of Saul, you begin to see a man who did some things, but he didn't really do anything compared to what God could have used him for. And so we've been going through that and looking at that. We talked about just the fact that we all have potential the first week. And then last week we talked about taking our responsibility and potential, which is what you just saw. Um, I want to read a scripture to you. Then we're going to jump in to this. And, and I want to look today at how we fulfill our potential and how important it is to have confidence that we can fulfill our potential. If we don't have confidence, then we'll never do what God's called us to do. I don't think it's much coincidence that the day that God has me prepare a message on confidence, he blows up our speakers. So, because I think sometimes it's easy for us to begin looking at other things to give us confidence, if that makes sense. In church, it's easy to begin to look at, at, at sound and lights and the band and the preacher and all these things to bring confidence in how the church will work and how it'll function and how God's going to reach people. And yet today, we have a very good evidence of the fact that it's not sound or the band or the preacher. It's God working in and through the lives of people to bring us to faith and to begin to fulfill the potential that each one of us has. So let's uh, read this scripture. I want to read to you 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27. It's a little lengthy this morning, but I want to read through verse 24 so that you can get a picture of this. Saul, the Israelites have, have, have come and they have demanded a king. They've asked um, Samuel to give them a king. And so he comes and he is about to anoint Saul to become king over Israel. And so let's read this and see what's going on. Verse 27 of chapter 9 says this, As they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here a while so that I may give you a message from God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go from there until you reach the tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, there where there is a Philistine outpost. As you reach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with them and they will be, you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. I mean, that's Saul's potential right there. Do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me, of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until, you come, until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at Gabeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had, who had formerly known him um, saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this 
that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is their, who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when he saw they were not to be found, he went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, He assured us that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about him, about the kingship. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought Israel up out of Egypt and delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, No, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and your clans. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. The tribe of, listen to this, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when he looked, when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And listen to this, and the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood there among the people, he was head, a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. Well, let's pray. God, just pray today that you would take your word and that you would just begin to plant it deep into our hearts, God. Father, speak to us about living in a healthy confidence, about living in a place, God, where we can be assured and secure in the things you've called us to do. God, I just pray that your spirit would move now through the anointing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's funny to me that, that there uh, in verse 24, the people shouted, Long live the king. I mean, they're excited about their king, and the crazy thing about it was they just had to dig him out of the supplies, you know? If I'm looking for a king, it's not somebody that when they're about to anoint him and say, here's your king, it's not somebody that's hiding in the baggage. You know, I want somebody who can stand up and say, I can do this. See, nobody wants to follow anybody who doesn't believe that they can accomplish what they've set out to do. When we see people who are confident and moving in a certain direction and they, they, they just ooze this ability, they ooze this, I can do this, there's something about us that says, well, we can follow this person. And here Saul is, and he's sitting there, and he begins to be anointed as king, and yet they had to literally dig him out to get him to come forward. And you begin to see that in Saul's life, this was a huge obstacle for him. Saul never was able to see himself as the person that God saw him. His confidence was always in himself. What he could draw from out of himself, that's where he got his confidence from. And so he was never able to really do all the things that God had destined for him. I mean, when God tells you when these things happen, happen do whatever your hand finds to do because God is with you. I mean, that is giving you a pretty good promise, wouldn't you think? That everything that my hand finds to do, everything that God leads me to do, he is going to accomplish it. 
And yet instead of hearing that, Saul begins to doubt himself. He, he's so doubting himself that he literally hides on the day. I mean, think about this. What if Barack Obama had been hiding in somebody's supplies when they went to inaugurate him as president? Or George Bush or, or whoever it was. That would seem very wild. That would seem crazy to us. But that's literally what's going on here in this scripture that Saul is literally hiding. He's running. He's, he's trying to get away from what God's called him to do. He had no confidence. And it takes confidence to fulfill God's potential in our life. See, confidence is key to us doing that. Confidence is key in us being able to do the things that God's called us to do. I remember when I went to Southern and I began to play baseball, I could never see myself as being as good as those guys who were playing. I just, I never felt like, man, I'm, I'm on the same playing field as them, literally. I, I didn't feel like I deserved to be there. And I began to see that my lack of confidence really kept me from being able to fulfill all the potential that I had in baseball. You know, about 80% of baseball and probably most sports is mental. And yet I was in such a place where I couldn't see myself as ever being able to play like they play. I didn't feel like I measured up. I didn't feel like I could do what I was supposed to do there. And you know, when you're out there and you're playing left field and you're sitting there and you're going, oh gosh, they hit it to me. I know I'm going to miss it. I know, I know, I know. I remember um, I, I used to get put in a good bit just to play defense. Late in the innings, a lot of times coaches will put people in who are good in, at defense. And the reason you're not playing the whole game is because you can't hit. And so that was me. I couldn't hit. And so he would just put me in to play defense. And I remember we went and played the University of South Carolina one year. And these guys are huge. I don't know what they like, but they were huge. I mean, they all had guns. I mean, like huge arms. And they just hit bombs. I mean, and we got there. And South Carolina was, and I think still is known for, their hecklers. You know, these people who come to the game for no other reason than just to heckle the other team. And they were pros. I mean, they were good. And so I go out, and it's about the eighth inning, and we're up by a run. And I go out there, and they are just hammering me. I mean, just, I mean, up one side and down. I think they sense the fear. You know, it's like a dog. I think they sense the fear in me. And so I go, and, and I'm out there, and I'm in left field. And and I'm thinking, these guys are killing it. And I'm out there, and all of a sudden, here it comes. And it's just a missile hit right at me. And I'm thinking, all right, get in front of it, get in front of it, get in front of it. And so I get down in front of it, and their field is, and you would think the University of South Carolina would have a good field, but it was like playing in a cow pasture, man. There's holes here. There's, that's, the grass wasn't good. It's bouncing, skipping, hopping, going all over the place. And so I'm just kind of like laying down in front of it. I'm just like, don't let it get by you. And so the ball bounces up, hits my leg. Instead of a single, the guy ends up getting a double. And they ended up like scoring. I don't know how many runs they scored that inning, but we ended up getting beat. But the longest run of my life was from left field to that third base dugout because they were waiting, man. But the, the point of it is, is, is that when I was out there, I was thinking, man, if the ball comes, I wasn't sure of myself. I wasn't sure of myself. I remember when I started feeling called into ministry. And I really began to have that on my heart. It was hard to get assurance of that. It was hard for me to really begin to understand that, that yeah, this is, this is God. It was hard for me to see myself as other people that I knew in ministry. I, it was hard for me to think that God would use me in the way that he was using them. And so I had to finally come to terms with the fact that God had called me to do what I'm doing. But it was difficult. It was hard to move with confidence. I struggled with that for years. For so long, whether or not I was called was based off of my performance. It was almost like baseball. Whether I was as good as they were or not depended on how well I was playing. 
Well, with God, it's a little different. But for me, it was the same thing. Did I preach a good message? Okay, I'm called, man. Oh, if it was a Sunday where I did, felt like I did a good job, then yes, there's no doubt in my mind, I am called to do this. I am a pastor. There's no doubt in my mind. But the next day, the next Sunday, if I preached a bad one, it was the exact opposite. I was like, oh gosh, I know this isn't what I'm supposed to do. There's no way God could possibly use me to do anything like this. And it became a thing where I had to finally get to a point of realizing that regardless of how well I did, I was called. Regardless of if I preached a good sermon, I was called. Regardless of if I totally preached a bad sermon and everybody fell asleep, I was called. And so it began to be a confidence that came not from what my ability could do, but it was a confidence that came from the call of God on my life. Does that make sense? Henry Ford said this. He says, whether you believe that you can or you can't, you're right. And Henry Ford is the one who revolutionized the manufacturing of automobiles. I mean, he made it where uh, we were making cars like this. His dream was to make a car that everybody could own. And now we look and we see what that vision did. We all have cars. We drive around. We do different things. You know, with that, we, we all may have one too. But most everybody has a car that they drive. And so we begin to see that. But what he said was, listen, if you think you can do it, then that's right. But if you think you can't do it, then that's right. And so we have to come to a place where we begin to see that the way we think is truly an, a great impact on what we do. The book of Proverbs says the same thing. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So that what you think in your heart about yourself is probably what you're going to do. You know, in, in sports, and I use a lot of sports analogies, but in sports, a lot of times people will tell you, begin to think about doing, actually playing the position or doing the things you're going to be doing in the game so that you see yourself succeeding, that you see yourself performing well. And so it is true that, man, when we don't think we can do it, we're probably not going to do it. And so it is key, it is absolutely key that we have confidence in who we are. I remember, uh, I read this this week, and I, you may have heard this. I've never heard this before, but I read about a bumblebee. Have you ever, I mean, some of you probably heard about bumblebees, that aerodynamically, based off of the normal um, of physics and all of, of how an airplane flies, a bumblebee should not be able to fly. Have you, have you heard this before? This is, this is absolutely astonishing to me, but, but I read about this, and and so in the 1930s, they began to study a bumblebee. And they began to look at the mass of his body. And they began to look at his wings. And they said, there is no way that this animal should be able to fly. There's no way. I mean, his little wings just beating. I mean, his wings beat between 200 and 400 times a second. Is that not crazy? <laughs> I mean, 200, 400 times, that's 15 times faster than like your neurological responses. That's like when you touch your finger and how fast you feel it, I mean, it's instantaneously, their wings are beating 15 times faster than that. That is absolutely amazing to me. And the thing is that these people were looking at the bumblebee and they were looking at him and going, you can't fly. It's not possible. So stop. The only problem is the bumblebee didn't get that. The bumblebee's like, I don't care, I'm just flying. And sometimes we need to be that way. We need to be that way where people look at us and maybe we don't look like we could do what it is that God's calling us to do and yet we just go, you know what? I have a creator who said I can fly so that I can fly. 
And it's not based on what other people think about us. So many times our confidence comes from how other people view us. And it's so unhealthy. It will make you do things that you never would have done. How many of us, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have spent our life doing things just to try to fit in? I had a chance to speak to some uh, high schoolers, really all different ages, at a Fields of Faith thing in Swainsboro on Wednesday night. And I was telling them, because this was so funny to me, but I remember back in high school when we would uh, go to school and one day somebody would be dressed like in the polo shirt and the khaki pants and the, the nice shoes. And then the next day they would walk in with Wrangler jeans, Wrangler, you know, the cowboy boots, a huge belt buckle and like a Wrangler shirt. And I'm like, what happened? Where did the other person go? But it was just a, a need, it was this striving to try to find out who am I? Who, who, who am I supposed to be? What do other people want me to be? And so we begin to look at that and try to become something that we were never created to be. And it just makes sense to me that we would go to the one who created us to find out who we are and what we can do. And quit listening to other people. And quit listening and looking at our own abilities. And begin to listen to what God's speaking to our hearts and telling us to do. A lot of it goes back to when you think about David and Goliath. You think about David and Saul. I mean, Saul tries to give his armor to David. He tries to tell him, you know, use this and it'll be okay. And yet David looks at him and goes, this isn't who I am. You know, if David had tried to go and fight Goliath in Saul's method, methods, he would have got slaughtered. There was no way he could fight that battle. And yet God, I mean, David looks at God and goes, he made me a certain way. He made me to do this. And I can do it in his way. I can do it because he made me. He knows me. And he went and he fought Goliath with a sling and a stone. And he was victorious. But we've got to look at how we're created. And we've got to realize that our confidence is in the one who created us and not what we can do in and of ourselves. See, our confidence in our own life can act as a ceiling. We may have the potential to reach this, but if our confidence in what we can become and what we can do is here, it becomes a ceiling that keeps us from ever achieving all that God has planned for us to do. Does that make sense? Y'all are just kind of looking at me this morning, kind of like, you know. But it, is, it becomes a ceiling. It keeps us from ever achieving all that God has for us. All that God has, has created us to do. And it happened in Saul's life. He had the potential to do whatever your hand finds to do. Whatever I'm leading you to do, do it, Saul, and you'll be victorious. You will win. And yet his confidence was here, and it was up and down, and it, was, it would move a little bit here, a little bit there, but it was up and down. But normally it was right in here, and his potential was way up here. And he just could not get his mind around the fact that he could possibly do all that God had him to do. And so his confidence was robbing him. It was, it was causing him, how many of you have ever seen a turtle, and I feel so sorry for him, um, but like a turtle in the middle of a road. And you know, every car, it's like every car that comes by, it just sticks its head in and stops. And you're like, that thing's never making it across the road like that. It's just sitting there head in, head out. You know, it's like legs in, legs in. And, it, and, and it's so afraid and it's so scared. And yet when we lack confidence in ourselves and, and in what God can do through us, we become like that turtle or we just begin to withdraw. We begin to pull in. We begin to settle in a place where we just find safety and security. But see, the, if we're going to do all that God wants us to do, we'll never ever live in a place 
where we can just withdraw and not do anything. Now, you and I know that the turtle's best shot is just to stick his head out and begin to go. I mean, you just go. You just try to make it. I mean, you're in a pretty bad situation. But sometimes we have to do the same thing. We just have to begin to move. We've got to begin to do something, and we've got to begin to have confidence and not allow ourselves to withdraw to a place of doing nothing. Most people, when they get into a, a, a circumstance, when they get into a place where, of desperation, rather than continuing to move and seek God and be confident that God will deliver, God will do what he needs to do to get me to the right place, to get me whole and complete, most of the time we simply withdraw and we sit. Most people I talk to who go, are going through a difficult time, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm absolutely doing nothing. I don't know what to do. And my, my advice is this, begin doing something. If you're looking for a job, begin doing something. But sitting in your house, watching TV all day is not going to find a job. If you begin, I talk to people a lot who, man, I just want to have a wife and kids. And I'm like, well, who are you going out with? Nobody. They're probably not going to knock on your door. <laughs> you know, they're probably not going to knock... Begin to do something, you know. Begin to, 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 to begin to put some feelers out and see, hey, maybe, maybe I could go out with, maybe I could. But you know, if you never ask, you're probably never going on a date. And so it becomes one of these things where we typically get to a point where rather than moving and letting God guide and direct, we simply sit because we've lost our confidence and we don't really um, begin to do anything. We just withdraw. We just sit in a safe, what we deem to be a safe place. But my question to you today is this, when we do that, are we really living? Are we really living? Are we just existing? I mean, I could probably lock myself in the bedroom and let Susan slide me a plate under the door every day so that I could have something to eat. And most likely, unless a tree fell on the house, nothing bad's going to happen to me. I mean, we joke about that, but Susan at one point in her life struggled with fear so much that she wouldn't get in a car and drive to Savannah because fear gripped her life. And God has so delivered her, and she still, I mean, she still battles that at times, this fear thing, but you know, she's come so far with God's help. But we could all do that. We could lock ourselves away. We could say, listen, that guy hurt me. I'll never go out with another guy. That girl hurt me. I'll never go out with another guy. That church hurt me. I'll never go to another church. Or we can say, listen, listen, I know that God's bigger than that. I know that I can move on. I know that I can move on. And so we can begin to move again with confidence. We can ask God for strength and, and ask God to help us to live life rather than just existing in life. Rather than just going through life with no meaning and just drifting along we can actually begin to live. But if we're going to live and we're going to fulfill our potential, then we've got to be confident in who we are. We've got to be confident in what God's doing in and through us. But how do we come to a place of healthy confidence? How do we get that? And what is healthy confidence? I mean, you think about it. We've all seen people who are arrogant. We've seen people who are prideful. We've seen people who they seem to have plenty of confidence, and yet you can't stand to be around them. So how do we come to a place of having healthy? What is it? How do we do that? And I believe that, that there are a couple of things we can look at. One is this. Your confidence is justified based on where it comes from and who it's directed to. Think about this. Who does your confidence come from? Does it come from you or does it come from God? 
Does it come from a relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing that God has got your back and that every promise in the Bible is literally yes and amen in Christ and that he will take care of you? Or are you looking at your own abilities? My ability to hit a 94-mile-an-hour fastball was not very good. I mean, you got that fast, you could just throw it down the middle, and I was just, you know, swinging blind. And yet with God, we step into this place where with the potential that he's given us to do things in his kingdom, he steps up and we can do so much more than we see ourselves being able to do. But is our hope being drawn from a place in which we live where God is providing the confidence, where we're looking to him to pour into us the confidence to do what he's created us to do? Are we depending on our own life, our own strength to do what we feel we ought to do? The other thing that we have to look at is we have to begin to look at it and see where is our confidence directed? What are we doing with it? Is it all about me? Do I stand up on Sunday morning to preach, to try to preach a good sermon because it's about me? Or do I stand up because God's called me to do this and there are people who need to hear the word of God. There are people who need to know that God loves them. There's people that need to know that hope is not lost. So what's the purpose of my confidence? What is God doing with it? Is it about lifting me up and exalting me or is it about exalting God and helping other people? Because when you begin to draw your confidence from God and it begins to pour out of you like rivers of living water to people around you, then I believe that is confidence that is justified. It's not about you. It's about believing that you can do what God's called you to do. I also believe that your confidence is only as healthy as the source from which you draw it. See, Jesus was there, and he was with this lady at this well. He had been passing through Samaria. And see, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They hated each other. They hated each other. And Jesus is at this well with this Samaritan woman, and he's sitting there, and he's tired. He's been walking, and this Samaritan woman walks up, and she says, Jesus, or he says, lady, give me a drink of water. And she's like, what are you asking me for a drink of water from? And she kind of got the attitude, you know? What are you asking me for a drink of water for? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We don't even talk. And now you want me to fetch you some water? She's like, you can't even get water. You don't have anything to get it with. He says, listen, if you only knew who you were talking to, if you only knew, I could give you living water that would make you never thirst again. I could give you something. And she's like, oh, that sounds great, Jesus. Give me this water so that I'll never have to come back and draw from this well again. Let me have this. And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what. You go and get your husband. And she looks at him and says, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus goes, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and now the guy that you're with is not even your husband. And she's like, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And she goes and she brings him back, brings her husband, and she begins to tell people all about Jesus. But see, here's the really cool thing about that scripture to me. Here this lady is. Jesus seems to be the one who is in need. And yet this lady walks up and Jesus sees the real need that's in her. And Jesus says, what are you going to draw from the well? She's getting water from the well. And he, he says, give me a drink. And he uses it as an opportunity to begin to minister to her. To her. And he says, the water that you're drinking, that's great. But I've got something that's so much better. I've got something that's so much better. And so he begins to tell her about this living water. 
And see, if we're going to live in the healthy, in the confidence that God has called us to live in, to do the things that he's called us to do, we've got to drink from the well of Jesus Christ and from that living water. Does it not make sense to draw from a well that will not run dry? And so when we begin, like Saul, to look to ourselves to pull our confidence, when we begin to depend on ourselves, we're drawing from a well that eventually is going to run dry. That's why when you're living dependent upon yourself and your confidence is in yourself, your life is up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's just like Saul. Saul would have moments of greatness, and then he's on the bottom. He went up and down. And it was because he would put his confidence in himself. How do I feel about me? And yet Jesus walks up to this lady who had been married five times and was currently shacked up with another man. And he says, listen to me. I can give you something that will make you never thirst again. What you've been looking for in all these other men, what you've been going after with all these men, I can give you what you're looking for, but you're going to have to draw from this well, not the one you're looking at. But so many times we're trying to draw from this well that's, that's bound to go empty, that can't provide for us the whole way. And so we're up and down, up and down again and again and again. See, Saul had the same opportunity that, all the, that, that so many people in the Bible had. So many people in the Bible started out where they were struggling. Where they Think about this. Moses was, was there just tending some sheep. It says he was in the, the back part of the desert tending sheep. And God appears to him in a burning bush. I don't know about you, burning bush would get my attention like if it's on fire and it doesn't burn up. I'm going to see what that's all about. And so Moses does. He walks over and he begins to look. And he begins to say, what, what's going on? And, and God begins to speak to him. He begins to hear God speak. And he says, you're going to go and you're going to deliver the people, my people from Egypt. They've been in slavery and you're going to deliver them, Moses. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't do this. And so God goes, yes, you can. Moses says, I can't even speak. And God goes, oh yeah, you're going to speak. You're going to speak. And then he sends him Aaron. And he gives him the staff, and he, th- he tells him, throw the staff down, Moses. And Moses throws the staff down. It becomes a snake. And he says, now stick your arm inside your vest, Moses, inside your, 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 your coat, your, your cloak. And he pulls it out, and it's leprous. It's white. He says, now stick it back. And he sticks it back, and it's healed again. It's whole. He says, all right, Moses, if they don't believe these, then what I want you to do is take some water from the Nile River, and I want you to pour it out, and it's going to turn to blood. And so what's God doing with Moses? He's confirming his call to Moses. See, God's confidence always comes with a call. You see that? He was trying to confirm Moses to go and do what Moses was created to do. When you think about Gideon, Gideon was there. And and he's in, it says that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, people thresh wheat on a threshing floor. You press wine in a wine press. Now, Gideon's down there literally hiding from the enemy. He's hiding from the enemy, and he is, they are so destitute that he's literally in the wine press, and he is trying to count out enough grain for his family to eat. He's trying to count it out and figure it out. How, how can I get enough grain just to feed my family? And then this angel appears to him and says, Behold, mighty warrior. 
Where did he get that from? Because Gideon is hiding. He's fearful. He's doubting. He, he doesn't believe you know, that he can even get enough grain for his family. He's in a wine press trying to protect what he has, and God steps in and calls him a mighty warrior. And God begins to confirm him. He sends the messenger to talk to him. But then he also, when Gideon begins to say, God, is this you? Are you sure? Is this you? He says, I tell you what, God, if it's you, I'm going to put this fleece out here. And, and tonight, if you'll just make the dew fall on the ground and not on the fleece, then I'll believe you. And so God did it. He said, okay, God, if, if, if it's really you, God, don't be angry. Don't be mad. But if it's really you, God, then I'm going to put the fleece out here. And if it's really you, then make the dew get on the fleece and not on the ground. And so he did. And it, it happened. And so Gideon's starting to get it. He's starting to figure it out. And then God confirmed him. And, God, and Gideon heard God speak so clearly to him that he began to do what God called him to do. When he was confirmed with God, he fought an entire army with only 300 men. God knocked it down from like 32,000 to 300, and Gideon still fought the battle. Why? Because he was confirmed in God. He was confirmed and confident in who God created him to be, and he began to see that God is moving in this. See, God will confirm you all along the way. But we've got to begin to move into the potential that God has for us. We've got to begin to do the things that God's called us to do. When sound systems and, and, and things begin to fall apart, we still move in our calling. We still move in what God's called us to do. Isaiah was there and, and he was um, being, being called by God. And yet Isaiah has this vision of God and he sees these angels up in heaven and he sees God on the throne and it says that the, the, the train of his robe filled the temple and that God was so awesome and, and the angels were up there and they had six wings. Two of them covered their eyes, two of them covered their feet and they flew above the throne of God with two wings and they continually cried, holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty. And they would just cry, holy, holy, holy. And it says that when he, they would cry, everything shook because of their worship of God and the, just the power. And Isaiah sees this, and he's so fearful. He says, oh, my God, God, I'm a sinful man. Surely I'm going to die. I'm sinful. I have sinful lips, and I'm a man among sinful people. And it says that one of the angels came, and they brought a coal from the altar, and they touched his lips. And he says, see, now you've been made clean. So that when God began to call him, he took that thing that bothered him the most, his sinfulness, his, his unclean lips, and he cleansed it. When Moses was there and he said, God, I can't even talk to people. How are they going to believe that you sent me? He says, I'll give you Aaron and he can help you. And when Gideon's there and he's in doubt and he's struggling and he doesn't know what to do, God says, just throw the fleece out there, Gideon. I'll confirm it to you. And so that when we begin to move with God, we begin to see that he will confirm us. He always does something in our lives to show us that we're moving in the right direction, that you can do this. I mean, when we started the church, it was always something that came up. I mean, this week I'm in there and, and I open the mail and we, we think everything's done, everything's taken care of with the building. And I open up the mail and it's like a, a $4,500 bill that came in. And I'm like, where did this come from? I wasn't expecting this. And yet I look back over all that God's done. And I, yeah, somehow, somehow God. And I sit back and I'll begin to watch what God does. But God has continually confirmed the call 
for the last 10 months to see what he's doing. And he'll do the same thing in your life as you begin to follow him and you begin to trust him and you move confidently in the things that he's called you to do, God will confirm you. The thing is, we may not get a burning bush. We may not get the angel of the Lord coming to visit us in our wine cellar. But he'll begin to move and show us ways. And if our ears are open and we're looking, we'll begin to hear it. See, God tried to do the same thing with Saul. He, he told him, listen, through Samuel, he said, listen, Saul, what you're going to do is today when you leave me, there are going to be two men who come, and they're going to tell you that they found the donkeys. Then there are going to be three more men who come, and they're going to have three goats. They're going to have three loaves of bread and a skin of wine. And when you leave there, you're going to be going up to your home, up this, the hill of Gabeah, and you're going to be going, and there's going to be some prophets who come, and they're going to prophesy. And they're going to begin to tell you, or you're going to begin to prophesy with them, and God's going to begin to speak through you. He's going to begin to tell you things. The Spirit of God's going to come on you. And you know, Saul went, and I don't know, this would be pretty convincing to me, but Saul went, and as he's walking, as he's walking, all of these things take place. And God had told him at that point, you'll know, you should know that I'm with you, and whatever your hand finds to do, you do it. And yet somehow Saul missed it. Somehow Saul didn't get it. And so he continually moved in his own strength, and he continually had a problem. He, he was continually up and down, up and down. He, he never could figure it out. You see, God's called us to live in a place of confidence, of healthy confidence that comes from Him and flows through us to others. And we can live confidently. We can do things that God's called us to do. God calls us, for one, to be confident in the vision of our own life. He will fulfill the things that He's called you to do. If we will seek Him. Remember the, the, the sermon last week, we talked about responsibility. When we take responsibility for our lives, then He'll begin to do. And we can be confident in that, that He is going to move in the things that He's called us to do. We can be confident. We can be confident that we can be a, a godly husband. We can be a good son or a good daughter. We can be a good wife. We can be a good employee. We can begin to lead people to Christ through our actions and through our words. We can be confident that God's going to fulfill that in our lives. We can be confident that God's going to fulfill the vision of this ministry, that God is going to bring people to salvation, that God is going to do all that He has in mind to do when we begin to move confidently, when we begin to move responsibly towards Him. It's so funny today, I walked in, actually this morning I was getting dressed, and, and I was thinking, I was like, oh God, I was thinking about this sermon, I was like, Okay, God, what, you know, I'm going through it in my head, and, and I begin to think, you know, what, what all am I going to say? And, and, and I, I begin to get in this doubt of, of, of how's it going to work and what's going to go on. And, and then I thought about, what am I talking about this morning? It's like confidence that God can do what God needs to do. I come in, and, and John's back here practicing on the, the drums, getting ready um, for this morning. And, and I was like, dude, sounds good. I don't know what I'm listening to, but it sounds good. And so he gets up. And he's like, yeah, if I don't mess it up. And I was like, but John, we're talking about confidence today. And he's like, yeah, but I just don't have any confidence in me. I was like, no, but you can have confidence in God. That God will do what it is that you're here to do. That God will enable you to do what needs to happen. And so we have to come to a place where we begin to trust in that, that God's vision is going to be fulfilled. We can have confidence in the promises of God. All that God promises in this word. We can have those problems. We can sit firmly on the foundation that God has given us, His Word. 
And we can know that those promises are true. And even when it begins to look like they're not, we hold on because we know that the promises will be fulfilled. That they're going to come to pass. It's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. It is going to happen. And then we can trust and have confidence in God's love. That God loves us so much. And we can have confidence that God has our best in mind. Think about this. How many of us live our lives really wondering, does God really have my best in mind? See, I don't believe that God, God is up there trying to figure out how he can manipulate our lives because God is not a manipulator. God offers himself to us and it's up to us to accept it. And yet so many times we live our lives thinking, well, well God must have, God calls that car wreck. There's no doubt. Did you see how that guy was living? God calls that car wreck. God calls that cancer. God did this. God did that. But we can live confidently knowing that God is on our side. If we don't believe that God is on our side, then how can we ever stand firm and fight the fight of faith? Can you really fight against God? No. And so we come to a place where we really believe that God is on our side. We can fight the fight of faith. We can believe that God wants us to be whole, to be well. And we can continue to fight that even when we begin to doubt what God's doing. When we begin to not see God moving, we can begin to still remain confident. One of the biggest things I see people lack confidence of in the church, and you would think that this wouldn't be the case, but people today lack so much confidence in their salvation. I talk to people all the time that wonder, am I really saved? Well, did you accept Christ? Yes. Well, then you're saved. Well, I just don't know. How do I know? And yet God tells us clearly in his word that we can be assured of our eternity. So many times we doubt not only the future of this life, but we doubt our eternity. And yet God tells us so clearly that we can be assured of where we're going. I used to not believe that. I used to just argue that up and down. But I do believe in my heart of hearts that when the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us, we can come to a place of knowing that I am going where I want to go. I want to go to heaven. And when we accept Christ as our so we yield our lives to him, then we come to a place of realizing that, yeah, it's sure. It's secure. And when we lay our head on a pillow at night, we don't have to begin to question and wonder and doubt if that's so. We just know in our spirit, in our heart, that I've given my life to Christ. And I know that I'm going to live in that place. I know that I'm going to go to that place that he's prepared for me. So that now the, the question for our life is this. Are we, are we going to live as Moses? Are we going to live from, from the confidence of knowing that God has called us, confirmed us? Are we going to take the time to get with God and allow him to do that? Are we going to live like Gideon who was a man with doubt and fear and yet God helped him overcome and helped him live a life that brought glory to the kingdom of God? Are we going to be like Isaiah who was a man of unclean lips and yet once he came to know God, God touched his lips and made, it, made him clean. And then he began to do what God called him to do. Are we going to be like Isaiah and say, here I am God, send me. I know that I might not look like a lot to other people, but in you, I can do mighty things. And I can do mighty and awesome things for your kingdom. Are we going to be like Saul, who had all the potential in the world, all the anointing in the world, and yet he came to a place of never, ever realizing that 
because he never drew confidence from God. He never drew confidence in what God had called him to be and do. And so that's really our question that we all have to answer. It's the question that we all have to deal with. Am I going to step into a place where I draw my confidence from God and I allow him to pour out of me the things that he needs to or am I going to live my life selfishly, drawing from myself and consistently trying to elevate who I am? So I pray today that God will speak to your heart and that God will confirm who you are and that God will allow you to move confidently into the things that he's called you to do. Amen.